Just as Ruth Bader Ginsburg passes away at 87, everyone dreads about who will be the next SCOTUS nominee, and the left continues to defend cuties. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is the God of Freedom Show. Alrighty, so I hope everyone is having such a great week. Happy Saturday. So I'm going to get to, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away and about the whole chaos now surrounding the who will be the next SCOTUS nominee and also the left defending the cuties. But first, as always, going to give our COVID-19 update as always. So as always, I'm going to start with the kind of the numbers or where we stand right now. So in terms of, again, the numbers... All through for average all throughout the United States, it is continuing to kind of curve down um, all over. And, you know, places the big places like Georgia, um, Florida, Arizona, and all that. Those places are doing pretty well, pretty well. I mean, yes, we're seeing, still seeing kind of increase, still seeing cases every day, but the number of positive cases every day continues to go down, and the death rate, of course. Like I've been saying, continues to drop dramatically. So again, that's all all good news. But I, I really want to kind of hone the attention to kind of the numbers overall. And this is about one sp specific area. This is in Nashville, Tennessee. So Nashville, Tennessee, um, I think they got about, I forget, I think 22,000 cases or so around the area. And of course, you know, they shut down, you know, as well, you know, places like restaurants, bars, and other indoor venues, because those were said to be vectors of transmission. Well, as it turns out, this is according to the National Review, and this is about, this is from leaked emails from kind of the Nashville, Nashville Mayor's Office and the Health Department. And it's basically about how they they concealed low COVID numbers from the public, and these are specifically low COVID numbers from places like restaurants and you know bars. You know, because at the beginning the conventional wisdom was that oh, these were going to be the hot spots; these were going to be the vectors, main vectors of transmission, and everything. And eventually, that, of course, I switched to schools, which, again, there's nothing, no evidence suggesting that schools are the main vector transmission at all. But now there are restaurants or bars. As it turns out, of the 22,000 cases over in uh, Nashville, only 80, 80 cases, 80 cases came from restaurants. 80 out of 22,000. So naturally, you assume, okay, maybe the restaurants are not a big problem. I don't know. I mean, it's not like, you know, with the restaurants. I mean, honestly, not, it depends what restaurant you go to. Not everybody's, like, actually, you know, crammed in like that or whatever. But again, the, the restaurants and all that were considered to be the main, going to be huge vectors of transmission of the virus. That has not been the case whatsoever. And the problem is that the health department and the mayor's office concealed the, these numbers, concealed them in order to keep the restaurants closed and the bars closed. So, like, that does not make sense whatsoever. So here's what the piece by National Review says. Officials in Nashville, Tennessee, concealed from the media how few coronavirus cases had been traced to bars and restaurants in the city, according to emails sent between the mayor's office and the city's health department. Emails obtained by Fox 17 News appear to show that the two offices seemingly conspired to conceal data showing that while constru construction in nursing homes led to more than a thousand cases each, each as of June 30th, only 22 cases, actually, uh, I, I over-admitted it, that 22 cases have been traced to bars and restaurants. 22.
In discussion of the numbers, Leslie Waller of the Health Department asked, this isn't going to be public release, right? Just info for the mayor's office? Correct. Not for public consumption, replied the senior advisor, um, Benjamin Eagles. The next month, in response to rumors that only 80 cases have been traced to bars or restaurants, a, a Tennessean reporter asked, the figure you gave of more than 80 cases... 80 does does lead to a natural question. If there have been over 20,000 positive cases of COVID-19 in Davidson, and only 80 or so are traced to restaurants and bars, does doesn't that mean restaurants aren't very aren't a very big problem? That's a great question right there. Health Department official Brian Todd asked five health department officials for assistance in responding to the border. Please advise how you recommend I respond. An unnamed sender responded, My two cents, we have certainly refused to give counsel per bar about because those numbers are low per site. We could still release the total though, and then a then a response to the over eighty could be could be because the net number is increasing all the time and we don't want to say a specific number. Glover accused the city of covering up the data and fabricating information. They've blown their entire credibility, he said. It's gone. It's gone. I don't trust a thing they're going to They say. I don't trust a thing they say going forward. Nothing. The councilman said many bartenders, waitresses, and restaurant owners from downtown Nashville have reached out asking why officials wouldn't release those numbers. We raised taxes 34% and put hundreds, of, hundreds, put hundreds, literally thousands of people out of work that are now worried about losing their homes, their apartments, and we did it on bogus data. That should be illegal. That's exactly right. When you like sit there and lie about the numbers, um, and from about numbers from like you know about cases of a virus. And lie about the numbers of where at restaurants or whatever. And those numbers are putting people out of work and they're possibly gonna lose their homes. That should definitely be illegal. These people should be held accountable for lying to the American public about about this crap right here. And I'm sure this is not the only um situation of this. I'm i I'm I would not be surprised if there are other cities all throughout the United States that are like this. Like hiding low numbers from places like restaurants and bars and many other places, gyms and hair salons or whatever, just so they can keep those places closed down in order really to virtual signal to people saying, see, we're doing the right thing. We're locking down. We're protecting people. But again, there is no evidence whatsoever that these place the that lockdowns ever worked in the first place none so again like like this person said that they need these people need to be held accountable for this this is this is completely completely unacceptable by all measures all right so now I'll move on to the um other the actual news for today so, in terms of actual news for the day, um, this came this just came yesterday, actually. Um, sadly, uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was um, picked by Bill Clinton, uh, nominated, yeah, nominated by Bill Clinton to be a justice on the Supreme Court in 1993. Well, she sadly passed away at the age of 87. Um, she's been battling many things over the years, many health problems. She had lung cancer. She had, you know, she was battling pancreatic cancer, and that was what led to her um, death. So, yes, yeah, it was pretty kind of sad too, because um, like, it was very surprising too to like see that on on the on the news right there. It's really surprising. Like she, you know, she had a pretty good legacy. Like she, you know. She went to Harvard Law School. She was a huge proponent for you know women's rights 
you know, that she worked with, she was nominated by uh, President Jimmy Carter for the U.S. Court of Appeals in, in D.C., Washington, D.C. And, you know, she served there for years and then again was nominated to the Supreme Court by Bill Clinton and served ever since then as the Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. So, you know, of course, you know, maybe people, many people were upset about this. You know, maybe people who knew her were definitely upset about this. You know, people who knew her said, you know, she was actually a really nice, nice lady. So, like, here's, you know, kind of some number of examples of this. You know, here's actually President Trump's response to learning that Justice Ginsburg passed away. Here's the video right here. just died? Wow. I didn't know that. I just, uh, you're telling me now for the first time. She led an amazing life. What else can you say? She was an amazing woman. Whether you agreed or not, she was an amazing woman who led an amazing life. I'm actually sad to hear that. I am sad to hear that. Thank you very much. Okay, you know, say what you want about President Trump and everything, but you can tell that he was generally, like, taken back by, by the news right there. But I think he actually, you know, knew personally um, Justice Ginsburg for a little bit. So, you, know, you can definitely tell that he was, you know, really taken back and shocked by that. And everybody else was, really. Like, everybody, like, again, like, I was completely shocked. I just opened my phone and see on my news alert, Justice Ginsburg passed away. It was just absolutely crazy. This is the crazy thing, you know, my prayers, you know, got to her family and everything. And I really prayed, you know, she knew, you know, Jesus Christ too, and that she was saved by him. You know, that's my hope, at least. But, okay, so, um, let's see. So, you know, as, you know, the death, of, like, news of her death, you know, spread all throughout social media and everything, you know, people were giving their condolences and everything, you know, from all sides, thankfully, so this is kind of a really nice, short, very short moment of unity from everybody, but naturally, that was completely thrown by the wayside, for a very obvious reason, and, of course, you know, that very obvious reason is that a Supreme Court seat is open now, and, you know, we can't ignore this. This it is going to get ugly. It is going to get very, very ugly from here on out. Because this was a a big seat. Because many people knew that probably RBG or Ruth Bader Ginsburg was probably going to be the next one to step down. I mean, not many people thought she was going to die on, on the court. But many people thought, you know, she's going to like step down eventually and retire. And let's just say <laughs> their reaction from from this, while they may be giving their, you know, condolences and everything, there are many people who have gone insane, insane, more insane than when uh, Justice Kennedy stepped down from the Supreme Court, from the Supreme Court back in 2018. Because this what this seat right here is, you know, President Trump were to fill it. You're talking about a big shift on the court, especially if he picks you know, someone definitely more originalist and textualist. So naturally, people are freaking out over this. You know, we can't we can't, like the the, the other possibility that Trump will and he will in fact pick a nominee. And the Senate will vote on bringing that nominee in, confirming that nominee. So naturally, people are freaking out. And here's what this this guy named Reza Aslan, I believe he's a reporter somewhere, I forget where, but here's what he had to say about 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 this. 
if they even try to replace RPG, we RPG, we burn the entire effing thing down. And many people echo this. They're threatening to burn down your cities, their communities, whatever. If you know President Trump replaces our um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg seat right now, and yeah, I mean that's that right there just tells you how the court, how the Supreme Court has grown in size over the years. How they just they're absolutely way, way too big. Way too big. I'm gonna get to that just a little bit, but you know, kind of going on the gender of like who will, who exactly will President Trump pick as the nominee? So he, as you know, and he has kind of a short list of people who he will pick from. Usually, I think he has you know Ted Cruz on there, a uh, Mike Lee, and many other people. But I think the person he will most likely go for. And I hope he goes for is um, Amy Coney Amy Amy Coney Barrett. You know she's like a, a complete originalist and textualist, and she will be perfect for the Supreme Court. And she's also very pro-life, which is really something we need for the Supreme Court if we were if we're going to get Roe v. Wade overturned. And that's the kind of the biggest contention. Over this is Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade is like the most important thing for the left to preserve. They need that. They need to preserve that, which doesn't make sense because again, if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned, it won't. It won't make abortion automatically illegal across the United States, but states can like legally forbid abortion. Which they should. Actually, it really should be banned all throughout the United States under any circumstance. I mean, fortunately, that may not happen anytime soon. But you know, if Ruby Wade were to be overturned, that would be that opened that possibility up. So I, I hope that does happen. I hope you know President Trump nominates him, nominates her, and I hope the, the Senate confirms her. And we do have a Republican Senate too, so that's very good news for us, right there. But again, just seeing the people kind of react to this is is very hilarious. But I'm going to continue on with that in just a little bit. But first, you got to go for the YouTube or the God of Renewal to check out the rest of the episode, video-wise. But um, so not only you get the rest, kind of my thoughts on. You know the Scotus nominee, who would like who would that could be, and like the Supreme Court as a whole, but also the left continuing defense of cuties from Netflix, and also at the end go over the book of John, and also the good stuff and bad stuff of the week. And remember, you can find me on your favorite podcast with some insights, like I have a podcast and Spotify. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. This is the God of Freedom Show. <laughs>
The Democrats have no leg to stand on. They have lost that leverage over us, mostly because of what they did to Brett Kavanaugh back in 2018. <clears throat> Excuse me. But if you recall, back in 2018, when uh, Brett Kavanaugh was nominated to the Supreme Court in, um, during the hearings, <clears throat> Democrats brought up a some uncorroborated allegations of sexual assault, and like, so there were there was absolutely no no corroborated evidence for this. Even for even for there was three total um, allegations, only um, just three. All three of them had no evidence whatsoever. In fact, for the first allegation that came up, her supposed witnesses that she had brought up all refuted her account. All of them. And then the other two stories were complete crap from the beginning. But that didn't matter to the Democrats. They slammed him as a gang rapist who shouldn't be on the Supreme Court. And they went into his high school yearbook and into his calendar from the time when he was in high school. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're going to go that far just to stop this guy from being nom nominated and from being confirmed into the Supreme Court. And again, all of that was to protect Roe v. Wade. They were so scared about Roe v. Wade being overturned that they were willing to do anything, anything to stop it, to stop someone who would do that. So you can naturally assume that this time around it's going to be a lot worse. A lot, a lot worse than what they did to Brett Kavanaugh. Um, that's going to be just like, that's going to seem like a simple little like, tidbit according to it compared to what will happen because especially if Amy Coney Barrett is the nominee and is, is set to be confirmed, Democrats will not, will not go quiet about this. And, I mean, so what? They have, again, they had no left to stand on as the way they did to Kavanaugh. So they can ki really kiss it and deal with it. Uh, beyond that. So, again, it's going to be very interesting to see how this goes. But the fact that we're all, like, kind of freaking out over this, it just, like I said just um, a little bit ago, it just tells you how big the Supreme Court has gotten. How and how poor it is in our lives right now. And it shouldn't be. The Supreme Court was the justice justice the judicial the judicial branch was supposed to be very small, very weak, actually. From the beginning. The weakest it was supposed to be the weakest branch in the entire US government. But over the years it has grown and grown and grown. Which is, it is absolutely insane that it has done that. Absolutely insane. So, and the thing is, for the, especially for the left, you know, they consider, they look at the Supreme Court, and they consider that their way of making policy. And that's where, you know, Ruby Wade came from. That's why, you know, a lot of states can't make abortion illegal. It's because of Ruby Wade. Because the left pushed, basically pushed the Supreme Court in order to make the abortion a constitutional right, basically, to be protected by the 14th Amendment, which is apparently absurd. There is no, no indication in the 14th Amendment that would say, oh, you can kill your baby. None. None whatsoever. The founding fathers would have been appalled by that. Appalled. Really, completely appalled, and you know this is not the first time the left had done they done this. They did it with gay marriage as well. They, you know they they could have gone through the legal process, but decided to use the Supreme Court as their leverage and the policymaker, which again is patently absurd. The Supreme Court is not the policymaker; it does not get to dictate what <laughs> do that. <clears throat> the only thing it's supposed to do is determine if, please, is a, if a piece of less legislation is constitutional or not. It doesn't get to make some take some cultural issue and say that's a constitutional right right there. It, it just simply 
It's not supposed to do that. It was not certain, that's not how the Supreme Court was supposed to work. And the founding fathers wouldn't have been appalled by this. And go back to the read to the um, Federalist Papers to get more information about what the courts were supposed to be. You can find the Federalist Papers on Amazon or wherever about this. <sighs> but really, it's going to be very... A very interesting fight going here on now because you thought things that were in 2020 were crazy enough. Oh boy, brace yourselves, people. You thought, you know, the 2018 fight with the, for the Scotus nominee was interesting. Oh boy, you guys better brace, brace yourselves. This is going to be a whole nother level because everybody is already amped, like really just tense as it is right now. <clears throat> it's going to be an ugly, ugly fight to get this, <clears throat> to get the nominee confirmed, whoever it is. And really, what should happen is that, you know, I know the last is going to be completely angry about this, but they really, because I'm not sure the hearings are actually necessary. I don't think they're actually required. So, what the Senate could easily do is bring um, the nominee for a confirmation vote and put him in, put her in. If it is, you know, in the going to bear, which I hope it is. And the left will be completely, <clears throat> completely insane at that. But so what? Again, they had no leverage whatsoever about that. Alrighty, so now move on to more of the cultural side of this right here. So... As I discussed last, last week, uh, Netflix released a show, it's called Cuties. And let's just say, um, I haven't seen this show, but I have people that I've seen people describe what the show is about. I have <clears throat> actually have a friend who, like her, his, sorry, his wife actually watched part of it. Just like little snippets from the movie and she was absolutely disgusted by, by it and everything. And Really, I'm, I really haven't seen any clips from it because I just I really don't want to see that. From, but from what people have been saying about it, it's pretty much porn, child porn, and it's on a is on Netflix, a public streaming platform, and it's being op openly embraced. And the excuse that they are trying to make, <clears throat> I don't want a second. Right, sorry about that. So, but again, the excuse they're trying to make is that what this movie does is that it shows how bad the whole idea of sexualizing children is. It it, it shows that it's a bad thing. And that's that's why it brings it up and everything. That's that's the purpose of of, of the movie. Or alternatively, it, the purpose, it actually embraces it. Regardless of what the actual message, message was supposed to be, it openly embraces it by showing, showing it in, in, in its movie. You could have easily made the movie where it, 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 it tackles the problem of child exploitation without sh actually showing it. You could have done that in a million different ways. But, again, Netflix decided to do it this way, which pretty much openly embraces it. So, I'm not going to take that excuse. I, I'm pretty sure that's just some way, again, that may be the original purpose of the movie, but has been overshadowed by, by this crap right here. But, of course, the left continues to try to, to defend defend this movie by any means necessary. So here's an article, I got a couple articles right here. One is from the Daily Beast and it's titled The Angry Christian Right Should Watch Netflix Netflix Cuties. Uh, should we now? Should we? Maya Mawana sorry, I probably screwed that name up. Do curiers 
I'm sorry if I, I know I screwed that person's name up. Cuties, available on Netflix from September 9th, has been met with the ire of the religious right, as, a, as well as a wider online public that believes that the film sexualizes children. To be fair, the poster Netflix initially chose to promote the French film, which won the World Cinema Directing Award at Sundance in 2019, was a grossly inappropriate choice, one that decontextualized a scene from the film in order to promote a movie about the complexities of growing up in both modest and modern cultures at once. Netflix has taken that image down, but Death by Outcry is continuing with the release of the film. People across the blue the political spectrum have expressed wrathful concern about the streaming giant's choice of a photo of twerking preteens and revealing outfits as a way to garner interest in the film and Netflix has accepted responsibility for the misstep. But calls for the film's release to be cancelled altogether are deeply misguided and reactionary. Cues is precisely about the two easy ways we choose to condemn and isolate children as they take risks and make mistakes growing up, no matter their cultural backgrounds. And the film has a major lesson for religious conservatives and moral panickers about what fear, condemnation, and emotional neglect can do to the young people who turn to us for guidance in the midst of turbulent personal awakenings. And cuties, and, and cuties, and meaning <coughs> Me of whatever. Ambi is a 14 year old French uh, Senegalese girl of Muslim faith. Her family has just moved to Paris, but her father is still in Senegal, has decided to take on a new wife. Amy sees her mother visibly shaken by the development and secretly, secretly witnesses her, 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 her herself in response to her pain about the marriage and her obligation to pretend she welcomes it. As the family prepares for the wedding, Amy begins to cross over from a period of childhood innocence from within her Muslim community to demands of becoming a woman, both in religious context, in which, teen, in which teens marry, as well as in Monte Paris, where teens flirtously on social media and wear crop tops and shorts. shorts. Especially what this article tries to do is to really try to make excuses for this film. It's saying it doesn't actually sexualize children or, any, or anything. It just shows these, these girls coming into, coming into age. Which is patently absurd. Again, again, I have not seen it myself. But from what people have said, it is, it is pretty much child porn. You can't go around that. At all. So that's not the only piece of like this. I got here's a piece from the Washington Post. This is titled "Cuties" is an unflinching look at what it, what it means to be a preteen girl. No wonder people can't handle it. Oh really? Oh really? All right. Alright, here's what the piece says. If you can weave back the past the drama surrounding angry, poli angry politicians, QAnon, a terrible ad campaign followed by misguided petitions, you can perhaps enjoy Cuties for what it is. A more compelling movie, of one of the more compelling movies you like to see in a month. Funny and de deeply uncomfortable, sweet and sometimes sad. Oh, really? So this is all a QAnon type thing right here. That that's why everybody's so freaked out because the QAnon. So this is this is now a new weapon by the left right now is that anybody on the right is now part of QAnon. Like how years ago people on the right were all uh alt right. Now everybody's now uh QAnon. So here's the piece continuing right here. I never would have stumbled stumbled on it if were if not for the increasingly frantic discussions happening around it, which is all a long way of say, saying thanks, Ted Cruz. Huh? 
a French a French film directed by Maine May Mo Moyana Diacour. Cuties were the was the subject of controversy even before it landed on Netflix last week. The streaming platform previewed it with a poster of twi teenage girls in scant costumes accompanied by with the synopsis Amy Eleven becomes fascinated with a twerking dance crew. Things went south. Crews who either didn't see the movie or didn't understand it claimed that the film routinely fetish, fetishizes and sexualizes these pre-adolescent girls. It called on the Department of Justice to investigate whether Netflix executives or the filmmakers violated any federal laws against the production and distribution of child pornography. Um, is there anything wrong with that? Because, again, as I keep saying, people who have seen it said that it's pretty much child porn. So, I don't see anything wrong with Ted Cruz launching an investigation into that. He continues right here. Preemptively, hating the movie was a bipartisan affair. Christine Pelosi, daughter of House Speaker Nancy, Nancy Pelosi, joined in the hashtag cancel Netflix, asking the platform to apologize. And this weekend, Netflix's cancellation rates were eight times higher than they'd been, been the month before, according to analysis in the Variety magazine, a multi-year cancellation peak. Which, you know, I, I was, you know, part of that. My friend and his wife did that as well. Um, because of Netflix, because again, I'm not gonna fund, use my money to fund an organization, a company that pretty much embraces child pornography and pedophilia. I'm not gonna use my money to fund it anymore. Which is all a shame because Cuties is a, the kind of story that isn't told, um, isn't told well very often and deserves to be told. It focuses on an 11-year-old girl named Amy as she figure out, figures out what it means to be to her to be a woman in the era of TikTok celebrities and viral fame. Like, like Duke Cora, Amy is the daughter of Singalese immigrants. Amy's parents are now raising their family in a working-class Parisian, Parisian neighborhood. Their culture permits polygamy, and when the movie opens, Amy's father has recently traveled back to... Senegal to bring home a second wife. All I wish for them is that they marry for love, Amy's mother says in a phone call to a relative. Then she hangs up and, not realizing her daughter was, is in the same room, bursts into tears. So, again, this movie, this piece goes through the movie. This says it's all about. These girls come to age and and everything. You see that it only it just addresses the problem of child exploitation or whatever. Again, you don't have to do all that crap. You don't have to show it in order to say something about it. To you know to you know go after it. Healthy adults won't see the characters as sex objects, they'll see them as children, and they'll see the dancing as disturbing. But they might also wonder on, about how unhealthy adults could perceive what's happening on the screen. Who, whose gaze does the camera represent? How is this supposed to make us feel? These are the kind of nuance or discussions that, that, uh, that art is meant to encourage. And the fast twitch social media has squashed. Instead of wrestling with the content, we have QAnon Facebook groups speculating that the film, well, the film was um, fun, secretly funded by Obamas, by the Obamas. Whatever. I mean, I'm sorry. This, 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 these two pieces, these two, these two pieces are just horrendous. Like, seriously, there's no way possible to defend this movie. You, you, I, I just, I fail to see. Any reason to defend this movie. And I don't care about your excuses. I mean, child exploitation is still child exploitation. And now there's some people saying that people only criticize it because the main character is black. 
yes, we're all racist for criticizing cuties now because of Netflix. That, that, yeah, that's how that's all this works now, apparently. But this again, this is the way our culture works right now. This we're just it's completely insane. And what's even more crazy and sad is that some people even in the church are now trying to make excuses for it. Not necessarily for pedophilia or child pornography or anything, not, not really for this, but for, I'm talking about more broader, for things like abortion. There's, there's like a lot of, you know, people who are, you know, part of the church, who supposedly follows of Christ, who say that abortion is not necessarily forbidden, um, forbidden um, in scripture. See, it doesn't actually mention it in scripture, therefore it's not actually forbidden, and therefore it's perfectly okay for someone to get an abortion. Like, who am I to judge? Okay, I'm sorry, but again, but when the time at the time when um, the Bible was actually written, abortion was not really a thing, so that's probably why it didn't actually mention it. Mention it. An abortion itself, the word abortion, was, was, it's more of a recent, like, term. So, that would make sense why it was actually in scripture. But you can go all throughout scripture and see, oh, maybe, probably abortion is actually forbidden. Like, one of the most important ones is Genesis 127, we're all created in the image of God. And... I believe is in um, Psalms, Psalms 139, it basically goes on, you know, explaining that we're, um, the, the Lord forms us in his womb, in, in, in our mother's womb, he knew who we were going to be from the time we were conceived, before we were conceived, and everything. So that just tells you that he, you know, he knew, he valued us before we were conceived and while we were developing in a mother's womb. So, naturally you will say, okay, definitely abortion is not right in the eyes of God. It is simply not, according to scripture. But again, there may be people in the church trying to make excuses for it. And they do the same thing with gay marriage. Saying that... And there's some people trying to say, oh, a gay pastor is fine, whatever. I mean, if you're, you know, gay, but if you're a Christian, that's probably okay. No, it's not. Gay marriage is a sin. It's not. It is an abomination. It's, I'm sorry. It simply is. Like, it says clearly in, in scripture that homosexuality is a sin. It's an abomination. So, yes, of course, of course, they could still be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. If they, you know, repent and and follow him, that's you know, that's perfectly obvious. But does not does not mean that their act is still is okay. It does not mean that their act is perfectly okay now. That doesn't that doesn't mean that at all. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is that there's many there's some Christians that say. We shouldn't be signing off on the culture. We shouldn't be completely ignoring it. Or whatever. Because it's not our place to judge or whatever. But I argue that we should say. If something we see in the culture is bad. We should have the courage to point out and say that it is bad. It is absolutely evil. That's abortion. That's what abortion. QEDs. Gay marriage or whatever. Especially if we have... Fellow, fellow followers of Christ who say that they, those things are acceptable to them. We should have the courage to point that out and say, no, that is wrong. That is completely and utterly wrong. It is, I know, it's completely insane as how far our culture has fallen. You know, um, uh, Andrew by Breitbart once famously said that politics is a downstream of culture. And, you know, of course, I always put, you know, culture is downstream of God and religion. But when you have, when you take, you know, God and religion out of that equation, you just have the culture. And then that's when many things that come in 
and influence the culture. And now, the thing is, everybody has that, still has that God-shaped hole. And they try to fill it up with a bunch of crap. And that's why everybody looks to the government. That's why, you know, things with this, like the Supreme Court is so important to some people. Because they rely on the government. They look to the government to solve all their problems. That's why the, the presidency is such a, so huge every single time. When in actuality, it was never supposed to be like that. Never. Because, you know, these people, they're just people like us. They're just as screwed up. They're sinners just like us. And so we can't be looking to them as these people who will solve all the problems and everything. It's just, we can't, we can't do that. We cannot simply do that. Does that mean we can't, you know, go out and vote for someone who would be best for the country? No, you can go do that. Definitely. I'm, I'm going to be doing that too. But I don't look to you know, President Trump to solve all my problems. <laughs> I, I don't do that at all because that's not his job. That's not his, that's his job is to execute the law and nothing else. But whatever, it's just... I don't know, that's, I just really want to say something about that, just because it's just, it's just crazy just how far the culture has come over the years, especially this, this past year, is absolutely insane how crazy this year has been overall. Alrighty, so now let's move on to scripture right here. So we're going to be, now we're on into um, John chapter 19. So we're going to be going from verse 1 to 16. And remember, you can follow me along if you want, and I'll be, I'll be in a New Living Translation. Jesus, Jesus sent us to death. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with, <clears throat> excuse me, then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple rotor on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked, as they slapped him across the face. And gotta kinda picture this right here. I'm pretty sure if you haven't seen this movie, definitely go see it and definitely brace yourselves. It is a it's really horrific. But you know, Passion of the Christ is about the crucifixion of Jesus. And it really goes into full detail of what it was like. And the problem was with a, with a lot of kind of the older, especially older crucifixion in Jesus movies, they don't actually show fully what he went through. Like if you see a lot of the paintings, you know, of Jesus, like more I think the Da Vinci paintings or whatever, those old timey paintings, you kind of see, you see Jesus hanging on the cross, but you see you just see him hanging, but his body is perfectly clean and everything i mean it doesn't look like any pain at all he just, i mean really in those paintings it looks like he is almost sleeping and i know they're just kind of paintings or whatever but th those kind of things always bother me because it does not it does not accurately depict uh, what he went through and during the during his death like for the flogging for example like if you, especially if you've seen Passion of the Christ, you know exactly what happened. That there's these, the lead whipped had like pieces of metal at the end of it, pieces of metal, bones or whatever, and they will take it and just completely smack the back of his back and body with it, and just completely scrape it up and like grab flesh and just yank it out like that. It was is completely. Horrific, and definitely again, go watch the movie. That movie, if you want to really see it or anything. But even then, the movie doesn't fully, really capture the full essence of what he went through or anything. I just wanted to sign off on that real quick. Look at tunes right here. Pilot, Pilot went out, went outside again, and said to the people, "I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty." Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, 
Look, here's the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and the temple guards began shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him. Pilate said, I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by our, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back to the headquarters and again asked, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus replied, You have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greatest sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, again, uh, tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, "If you release this man, you're you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar." When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment judgment seat on, on the platform called that is called the stone pavement in Hebrew, um, Gabbatha. Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of the preparation of Passover, and Pilate said to the people, Look, here is your king. Away, away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king? That's one kind of more interesting about Pilate right there, is that he might be kind of mocking them. But I almost kind of wonder if he kind of saw something in Jesus that he kind of knew that he was someone different. See, that he actually could have been, really was the king of the Jews, the son of God. So that's why in kind of his language right here is, you know, here, look, here is your king. You want, to, you want me to crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the leader of priests shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. <clears throat> Alrighty. So I'll continue on with John chapter 19 with starting with verse 17 next week or whatever. Alrighty. So now let's move on to the good stuff and bad stuff of the week. So some good stuff of the week. Um, this is kind of something that's been going on for a little bit. But Pastor John MacArthur, who has a church, I believe, in Los Angeles, California. Yeah, in California, it's, um, his church is called the Grace Community Church. And the thing with California right now, uh, with you know, the whole COVID situation, California has forbidden indoor church services because you know of COVID or whatever. But, you know, uh, Pastor MacArthur has, you know, violated those rules and said, no, we're going to meet in person because I think, I believe the community is important. And, you know, you got you to think about this too. This is Los Angeles in California. It is freaking hot. I, I haven't been there, but I know, you know, people have said that it's freaking scorching out there. And we, at the beginning, when, our, when my church started to open... It was held outside. It was awful. It was really awful. And uh, I try to pay attention to the message as much as I can. But it just the sun beaming down on you is not comfortable. And it makes a formidable experience. So, and doesn't make, you know, church to what it is. To where you're pointing like, oh, I gotta get out of here, hurry up. Hurry up, dude! I gotta get, gotta get out of here. Get cold off. So that's why you know, of course, our church is now was meeting indoors, like this church. But you know, uh, Pastor MacArthur's church was met indoors from the beginning, and has refused to, you know, abide by the local regulations. And he has been like <clears throat> getting fined by them, and, has, and now is being threatened with jail time by the Los Angeles County government. And the thing is, he continues to say, you know, screw y'all, I'm going to continue to do this. Which is incredible. Like, I wish, you know, most people, most pastors, 
most people called follow his grass when he had that kind of courage. You know, to you know, actually say that, no, I'm going to do this. Screw your regulations. I'm going to do this because you know, community is very important to the church. And yes, it doesn't have to be in a building. You know, the, the church is the body of Christ. But it's really the principle of the matter that the government is telling the church that they can't meet in a certain way that they don't approve of. So that's why he that's why he's doing this because they're telling him that you can't dictate how we worship, and he's exactly right. And he goes on, you know, he says, you know, we're not concerned about the flu, we're concerned about the eternity, eternal life, and salvation. And the more dire circumstances become in the world around us, the more critical and the more essential the church becomes, and the more important the gospel becomes. <laughs> Absolutely right. Absolutely right. The gospel, I don't care, the, like, seriously, COVID cannot stop the gospel at all, like, for me to spread. That is not how it works. I don't care, like, seriously, COVID, especially COVID, should not be, should not be so concerned that you stop, like, spreading the gospel. Because there's plenty more, especially all throughout the world. People are in more dire, dangerous circumstances, but are still spreading the gospel. So, again, good on him for doing this and continuing to have the courage to have people meet up like this. Good on him. And again, there's really no evidence that any big outbreaks occurred from this church. So, I don't know. We'll see. And of course, you know, something I didn't bring up earlier about COVID 19. Is that is now something that says asymptomatic people might not actually spread it. It's more pre-symptomatic people. So again, so all this book about masks and everything. Now you can't be with people, hang on people. It's all been bullcrap. So again, good on Pastor MacArthur on doing this and having the courage to continue this. And if you haven't listened to our sermons. Go listen to it. It's actually some really, really good sermons. Have to go check it out. And it's called, again, the church is called Grace Community Church. Alrighty. So now move on to the bad stuff of the week. So the bad stuff of the week, um, the wildfires in California, Oregon, and Washington continue apace. They're continuing to spread all throughout that region and everything. But the kind of the part I really want to focus on is kind of the reaction of people about how what exactly is causing this, and with so with frustrating, what's so frustrating is that the left is now claiming that it is climate change that's causing this, and President Trump is responsible for this because he didn't come climate change seriously. He pulled out the Paris Accords. That's why these wildfires are happening. That's why these hurricanes are happening. Happening. So, like over the course of a hundred years in California alone. The temperature only raised three degrees Celsius. Three degrees. So you're telling me over that span of three years that it just suddenly got bad and that's all President Trump's fault and it's all one man's fault <laughs> of that happening? The actual reason why really these wildfires are happening like this is I, mean, I don't know how exactly they started necessarily. I mean, they could have been is simply could have been some small little thing or whatever. But the main part of why it's spreading is because the California and really that whole region right there, it's terrible, terrible at forest management. Terrible. So I, I went for a college for one year and I took a like a I think a forest forest management class um one semester. And I remember you know the the, the I remember the professor saying that the biggest reason why wildfires happen badly is because, you know, proper forest man management is not taking place. And that's certainly true in California. They have completely botched, botched their forest management. And when you completely botch it, you know, don't have, you know, for example, controlled burnings in your forest or whatever. And with the controlled burnings, you know, that, that the reason for controlled burnings 
is to burn like kind of the fuel that seeps into the ground, into the soil. So that way, if, you know, a wildfire does, ha does happen, it doesn't spread like it does now. But when you, when you completely botch it, that's why it spreads like it is right now. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry, guys. <clears throat> yeah, sorry, guys. I'm gonna throw this kind of little scratch all of a sudden. All right, so I think that's all I have for, I have for today. So I'll be back here next week with all the latest. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is the God of Freedom Show. If you enjoyed this episode of the God of Freedom Show, hit that like button and follow the page to get more content. You can also find me on your favorite podcast listening sites like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening or watching.